What's next for IT? In today's economy, technology touches every aspect of the day-to-day operations of business. There has never been more pressure on IT to deliver for our organizations. So what can we expect over the next decade? We need to think differently about how we approach our work to continue to thrive into the future. This requires all of us to be intentional in how we look at our role going forward. Smart IT is an approach to getting the important things done by transforming the way we think, work, and lead. And now, let's disrupt the status quo, simplify the complex, and reduce risk the Smart IT way. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Smart IT Podcast. Today, I would like to welcome Chris Norris to the show. Chris has seen a lot over the years in both technology and IT. He has been working in IT for far longer than he would like to admit, but along the way has built a large number of relationships with customers, partners, and vendors that have helped him build a reputation as a thought leader among his peers. Chris spends a lot of his time analyzing the trends in an IT industry in order to provide sound advice and draft solutions for his customers that not only work now, but are viable well into the future. This includes cloud technologies, application development trends, and data management. He has a solid basis of working knowledge about how internal IT departments function, plus a practical approach to IT project design. Chris has a solid basis of working knowledge about how internal IT departments function, plus a very practical approach to IT product design. Chris currently has a new role at a national technology service provider, and we'll ask him in a few minutes to help kind of expand on what that role looks like. Chris, welcome to the show. Hey, William. Thanks for having me. Been a long time, buddy. I know, man. I think we've uh, we met over 10 years ago, and it's been a while since we had a chance <laughs> to catch up. Yeah, it's been a while. So I think you've been, uh, we worked together for a little bit, and I know the company you worked at has been through a couple of different variations and naturations. So what, what are you up to these days? Yeah, no, uh, uh, you know, we, we we work together at a kind of a regional solutions provider. Um, and since then, that company's been acquired uh, a couple of times. And uh, I've uh, my joke is that I've worked for four different companies without ever changing jobs. And so um, I'm, I'm currently the uh, the chief technologist for Cloud and Data Center for for our North American region, um, and uh, it's it's been a fun ride. I've I've gotten to do a lot of different things during my career. Um, you know, you mentioned a few of them, um, and and you know now one of the things that I'm really focused on is is what our strategic focus looks like in terms of cloud and data center trends, as well as uh, as well as how that uh, how that branches out into data management and and, and edge technologies. Fantastic. So uh, when I was putting together the uh, the concept of smart IT, I wanted to get into a lot of the human and soft skills as people talk about sometimes, you know, a lot of times tech geeks and IT, which is a good thing. Uh, we can we can go around, get buried in the basement, the back of the data center. You know, we're doing a lot of things, but behind scenes. But sometimes some of the IT professionals have uh, trouble interacting with the business, you know, telling them, hey, this is a problem or here's an opportunity or just coordinating different teams across the organization. Uh, but we don't want to lose the roots of uh, IT, which is, you know, hands-on keyboard, down and dirty, coding, architecting. So we got to have digital fluency here. Uh, so it's great uh, that to have you on here because we want to talk about data center and cloud. So I know a lot of people out there think of cloud like, hey, 
it's now makes everything in IT easy, right? So it's very, very simple now. Push a couple buttons, credit card with Amazon, and next you know, boom, IT got everything working. So let's kind of start there a little bit because we talk about the next generation of IT. What's that going to look like? Some people may think, hey, you don't need core uh, technology skills like networking and storage, uh, how low balances work. Um, I'm noting they're very, very critical even today in the day, uh, age of cloud. So let's talk, let's start there and talk about IT professional looking at it. When they hear I'm getting into this field and it's cloud, everything's simple, right, Chris? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's quite simple. You know, it, it, it's interesting, right? Because there are things that the cloud has greatly simplified, um, you know, and it, and the other thing that cloud has done is it's pushed a lot of that simplification down into the traditional data center. And, and I'll give you a couple of easy examples of that. If you go to one of the major cloud providers, like you said, swipe a credit card, click a button, boom, a server comes online. And it is, it, it can be that simple. Now, what that doesn't do is it doesn't give you any of the ancillary services that you mentioned. It doesn't give you load balancers. It doesn't give you security. It doesn't give you true end-to-end -end networking or any of those things. It gives you boop, an operating system running on a piece of hardware, right? Um, so while it does simplify some of those things, it also makes things much more complicated because you now have to manage the same sets of services that you always managed in your data center in another location as well. And that can get that can get touchy, especially when you're doing it with multiple sets of tools. So I don't, you know, um, that, that's just kind of my initial thoughts on it, but. Yeah, I think it's kind of good for the kind of the, the new, um, new people who are looking at technology, they want to get into this field. And then sometimes they may jump in and find out, oh my God, a network, what's a network subnet? Oh, <laughs> Father, we don't write the data back to disk anymore, right? You know, where does it, it lives in the cloud somewhere. And sometimes even like in security, you know, there's a abstraction of what you're protecting from where it actually lives. And I think sometimes it's good for uh, newbies to hear about it. And even some of the old veterans like, hey, old days of mainframes, you know, we looked at the, the big iron there and we had networks going across. So let's just uh, get a little view here. So what if I spin up that, that cloud instance, got my new server, and then somebody in marketing spins up one and somebody in develop, development spins up one and you're on Amazon, you're on Microsoft. Well, now, now you're moving into a whole different conversation, right? Because now you're talking about, you know, what what has been generally referred to as shadow IT, where where you know people go out and 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 I've I've seen this in, in customers where we go in and, and start talking around and we find out that they have not one Amazon or, or or Microsoft account, but dozens of them, and there's different bills all over the place, to the point that I've actually sat down with. Um, billing departments or, or, or expense departments and accounting departments inside customers and had them go through their expense reports to figure out who's expensing cloud services. And that's how we found some of the different accounts that we can then help them bring together and start looking at, you know, ways that you can collapse all of these different accounts into one one organizational system or something along those lines to to really start start driving some efficiencies in it, right? Because that's Ultimately, that's what cloud is about, is driving efficiencies into IT um, and getting out of kind of the stagnant way and the stagnant methodologies that we've been using for so long. Yeah, that's an interesting thing. So that leads almost to when you talk about shadow IT and kind of getting back to accounting and find out how many accounts are set up and who's billing what. Now we're starting to get into this question of cost, right? So for early on days it was, <laughs> cloud is, is cheaper. So that's been, that whole myth been busted, like not necessarily cheaper, right? I like what you said about the capability scale, simplicity, these other features of cloud. But for the people in the background, like the enterprise architecture, when he goes to draw the diagram of 
business service A, and he's drawing this and realized it's more than one cloud. And oh, by the way, some group still got uh, a partial data center on a colo somewhere with a critical systems that's now being called by an API. So just talk about that enterprise architecture view of uh, all this stuff, on-prem, colo, suppliers, multiple data centers, and just all that complexity. And, and, and you nailed it, right? That's, that's really where, that's really where today's complexity comes in. If you, if you think about what organizations are looking for, most IT organizations are looking for the ability to be able to say, I have a new application or a new workload that I need to roll out to support my business. If I'm an application person, I don't care where it's hosted. I don't care who's managing it. I generally don't care what it sits on. I want to roll out the application have it work, have good performance, and 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 you know, and it 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 should take care of itself, right? Um, we all know that's kind of a uh, that's kind of a misnomer, and and, and it, it never happens. However, um, when you start talking about what I would refer to as the the multi cloud landscape, now you start talking about being able to do a large portion of that type of thing, where when someone brings you an application or a workload, you can look at it and say. Here are the different metrics that I'm going to associate with this workload, you know, and if it if it meets these requirements, I'm going to put it in this public cloud. If it meets these requirements, I'm going to put it in my private cloud or on, on my on-premises data center. Or if it meets these requirements, I'm going to put it in a SaaS provider or, or, or all of those different things. And it gives you as an IT department the ability to really go through, measure the application and determine where is the most appropriate place for it to live. And then architect it, you know, appropriately. I love that because that gets more back in back into architecture again. And for some people who are used to just standing up a sand, right? Hey, I I've spent years and years putting the book of sands together, backing it up, replicating across two data centers, or just doing yep. networking. Uh, how do I do a VPN connection to multiple places? But that it starts to almost get like a systems thinking mindset when we. So let's talk about systems thinking when we talk about all these different pieces and parts and kind of expand a little bit more. You're talking about. Okay, here's the workload that works best in, in A or B or C, and that's where it lives. That's my how much it costs. This is how we monitor and maintain it. Let's talk a little bit about that that uh, system thinking approach to just everybody in IT. You know, know know your role and, and what you're participating in that at a higher level. Yeah, and, and uh, you know, to your point, when you start taking that systems thinking approach, a, a lot of organizations have to shift how they're organized, right? I mean. Um, you know, five, 10 years ago, you'd have a server team and a network team and a storage team, and it worked fine because everything was inside of the data centers and each team had their own set of tools. Um, it's much more difficult to do that in a multi-cloud environment because if I have things that are sitting in, you know, even even two of the cloud providers and on-prem, that's that could potentially be as many as three or four different distinct sets of tools that each team now has to understand and know, plus, there's a lot more intersection points between those teams when you start trying to tie an application on-prem with what's going on in this cloud and what's going on with it. You know, for example, if you think about, um, you mentioned earlier disaster recovery and, and data protection. Um, if you think about the idea of backing up things that are sitting on-premises and you want to store that data on-prem, but to protect yourself from you know more modern threats like cyber uh, cyber attacks and things like that. Maybe you do an additional copy or multiple copies out into one of the clouds. Now you have to worry about how that data is stored on-prem, how that data is stored in the cloud, 
how it's replicated, how it moves. There's all of those complexities. And that becomes very difficult for those teams to manage if they're used to having their own little small silo and they haven't developed a mature communication style between between the teams. Yeah, that brought some fascinating uh, conversation. I even remember the whole thing of not only backup, but performance, where it's like, hey, we got something on, a, on, a, on our data center, but it has to work at a certain performance characteristics. So it might have to be, need to be close to a Microsoft data center. And what was that old term? Was that Express Route or something? Where it's So now all of a sudden it started to look like almost the old traditional data centers all of a sudden. Like now we're about proximity. And my cloud providers have to have <laughs> extra data centers to where your stuff is. So it's almost like, wow, we're still got this level of complexity that's not being taken away just because we saved the word cloud. Well, and you're also starting to see the, you know, the some of the major storage ma- or major uh, IT manufacturing companies, you know, um, starting to take and, and redevelop their products to fit and sit in the cloud itself. So if you've got a storage array on prem. You can have the exact same storage array sitting virtually in the cloud. So now that replication set that you used to use on-prem, you're now using it in both places and it's in the cloud as well. So, um, you know, that becomes that becomes actually, it simplifies things a bit. So. Uh, it also gets into an interesting question about, uh, back to what you talk about data protection. So in the old days, you know, you have your mail on-prem, got your exchange server, and then we mail, we would back up the, the storage groups and the mailboxes local backup storage. Well, now yep. they say, let's go to Microsoft. They're going to take care of all the mail for us. And then some guy said, hey, are we going to back those mailboxes out? They said, no, no, we don't have to. Microsoft got that. Said, oh, Microsoft got that. It's like, <laughs> ooh, interesting. Now, Microsoft obviously have a lot of lawyers and a lot of uh, language in there, but it's a shared model here. So I think early on days, people didn't realize you might still need to back up mailboxes for other reasons. So if something happened to the exchange mailbox, in the cloud, Microsoft might not be on the hook necessarily. You still need to take right. into consideration how do I protect the mailboxes, how do I protect the shares. So even though it's sitting somewhere else, you're still responsible for your organization. So just talk about this. Like you really can't shift responsibility off to somebody else and just wash your hands of it. No, I mean ultimately, the the organization's responsible for their own data, their own applications, even regardless of, of where you're hosting it or, or who you're using, right? I mean, if you go to one of the major cloud providers and you stand up a bunch of infrastructure, right? You create yourself an infrastructure as a service that you can now access on demand. You load your applications into it. You get everything set up. You're still responsible for the the integrity, the protection, and the security of that data, um, you know, and so all of those things and all of those services that you had to use in the data center are still there in the cloud. Now you may have different versions of them, and you may be able to use cloud-provided services and things along those lines. And most of the cloud providers have extremely good technology for all of those things. Um, so without getting into you know individual namings of of components. You know, you can absolutely do exactly what you just talked about and put your 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 mail or your your databases or what have you up into the cloud, protect them, everything like that. But what you can't do is drop it up there and not set up the protection and not build out the 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 services that are required to to perform those uh, those features and expect that, that that protection is there. So the fundamentals of technology and IT from decades ago are still in play today. I think it's a good message for everybody. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's a dramatic shift, but, you know, the, those, those base fundamental things that you have to do are, are still there, whether they're 
whether they're done the same way or not, right? I mean, um, you know, one of the things that we look at a lot today is, is, is automation. You know, we talk about how do we pull human error out of our, our IT systems, right? I mean, uh, you know, back, back in the day, we would, somebody would go into the, state, the data center and they would sit there and they would do things hand, hand by hand on each, on each individual server. We don't want to do that anymore, right? I mean, it's, it's, number one, it's inefficient. Number two, if I build some code that allows me to go and perform repeatable tasks, that task is either going to work correctly or it's going to fail and I'm going to get an error that tells me why and I can fix that. Um, if I'm going in and I'm you know, doing 50 mouse clicks and typing in a bunch of keys, keystrokes and things like that, I can mistype, I can misclick, you know, and little things change. And when you start getting into application, uh, uh, application distribution, that's what you would refer to as drift, right? Application drift. By being able to automate the provisioning and the rollout and the management of those applications, we can manage that drift, keep everything much more standardized, which means that we don't run into the same types of issues. When an application breaks, we can start looking at the application or, or components of it that have failed as opposed to going, well, you know, did, did Chris just log into the server and, and change a bunch of stuff, right? So, um, you know, that's, that I think is, is where the maturity in IT organizations is really starting to come into play. Uh, so we're talking about uh, application development. We've been talking about apps. So this huge big wave is APIs. So, I mean, we have an application now that could be performing poorly, not because of underlying storage or necessarily the compute. It could be just be latency because you're waiting on maybe two or three APIs that might be a little slow. So when you start to think about, oh, mapping all that dependency for what this business application does. I think a lot of times, you know, the app person may say, this is the diagram of my application. And then other teams say, this is how I store the data where I store it across multiple clouds. But someone still is responsible from the business standpoint to say, here's my SLA, here are late, minimal latency requirements. So this transaction on the screen for my yeah. e-commerce site, they got to be fast and quick. And if there's a problem, I need to know where that is. So back to that whole complexity issue. And if I got an app that requires 40, 50 API calls, Let's talk a little bit about that. I, I've always had that when you go to like a major uh, website for news. And at the bottom, you can see there's a <laughs> delay. And you see all these places going to pull information from. Let's just kind of talk yep. about that, that wow factor and how complex that is. It, it goes back to the changes that have to happen within an organization. Um, you know, when you talk about the complexity of, of applications and, and, and API calls and, and all of the different things that, that are going into that, right? And, and, and you start talking about, for example, you take a microservices developed app, right? Like um, e-commerce website, perfect example, right? When I go to an e-commerce website, I log in. The first thing that happens is it's going to go and pull a bunch of information about me, populate the page with the information about me. What have I bought before? What have I browsed before? What are the things that other people like me have bought based on things that are browsed? All of those become different modules within an application now. It's not one huge application. And each of those modules is now making calls into all of the other modules. This means that you've got multiple different teams that are working on the application. You've got multiple different teams that are supporting the underlying infrastructure, right? Um, you know, we've started seeing a, uh, a shift from uh, from individual DevOps team to, to what, what's re being referred to as platform ops, where you may have a central architecture team that develops the, the underlying architecture for how an organization is going to build their clouds and how they're going to build that underlying archi architecture. And then some of those ops people get embedded into the individual development teams to become the operations liaison with that team, right? So that's how the DevOps teams actually operate. What this does is it dramatically 
eases those communication barriers that I was talking about earlier with regards to the siloed organization. If I have an architecture team that has all of the different components within it, those people are responsible for laying all of these different bits out, making sure that we've got good images, making sure that things are, are automated and that our scripts are tested, updated, everything along those lines. Now I embed my, my ops people in and they take care of whether it's automation of container deployments or, or working with the, the development teams on, on integrating their, their CICD pipeline into how our automation works and the infrastructure underlying it. Um, that eases that because now we've got lines of communication with the application teams, the operations people that are on the ground working with them, and the back-end architecture teams, um, as opposed to what we had you know, five or six years ago, where you would see a cloud team, and they were off by themselves, and they were developing things, and everybody else in the organization is still just doing exactly what they used to do. And then one day, the cloud guy shows up and goes, I'm done. We now have cloud, and nobody knows how to do it, right? By embedding all of these people, you really clean this up, and it, it, it helps tremendously to have that type of communication. Um, you know, the other component that's extremely important in that, though, is moving up into executive sponsorship and having leadership within the within the organization that really works with and understands how these teams are functioning, so that those leaders can understand how they're integrating with the business. What are the things that they're doing? What are the things that need to change in order to to really help push things forward? So um, I'm going to stop. I said a lot, so I kind of babbled there for a minute, but <laughs> turn it back to, to see what your thoughts are on That's that. Very good insights there. I guess we should start with the old reliable S word, right? The silos. <laughs> so I remember the old days, one, one person had the admin access, had root access, and they can do a whole bunch of stuff, bang out some key code, bang out some infrastructure, boom, it's up there. So now we're talking about yep. a whole new age where it's not one person might even have the right access. You can understand the different components, but one, you have to understand the components, but two, it changes the actual organizational structure of the team now. We're talking the structure's different, the communication style different, Maybe that how often you communicate is much faster, but all of a sudden you have to collaborate at a level today that you didn't have to like five, 10 years ago. I mean, no, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And we, we, we often refer to, the, to that and it's a, a common term, but we refer to it as, as, the, as building a cloud center of excellence, right? Um, bringing the people. And a lot of times it is quite simply going to those existing silos and Maybe initially you you take the the best people or the people who've already started trying to educate themselves on the new technologies or who are moving in that direction. Those people may become kind of an oversight team or a tiger team, whatever you want to call it, but they become the core members of that center of excellence. They're going to help to define the different chains of communication, how the teams work together, right? You have to, before you can automate something, for example, you have to make certain that your approval processes and that everybody that is involved in that process from end to end understands what's going to happen and, and how it's going to happen. Um, and a lot of times you, you talk about an individual IT process and it gets truncated, I guess is the best word, right? Someone says, oh, I want to automate my server builds. Well, they think of that as I throw a server in a rack, I, you know, I stick my, I, I boot it up and, and, it, it, and, and I install the operating system. Well, that's not a server build because that server is now not ready to go into production. You've got to, you know, you've got to add the networking components. You've got to go in and add any agents for backups or security or, or virus scanning, anything along those lines. You've got to add it into your change control systems, your monitoring systems. All of those different things are part of that process. And so being able to map that process out step by step and then define the different, uh, the different 
um, authorization steps, authorization components, and how the different teams interact with each other during that process is crucial to being able to truly automate something like that. So yeah, you, you know, to your point, those silos, they almost have to be broken down at least to some de- degree. Yeah, that's fascinating. Can we start to think about why the need to collaborate more? And like we're talking about automation. So this whole thing, a lot of time IT doesn't understand the market or business imperatives, right? So it's like <laughs> the business is finding out they're, they lose a market share inside of a very, very competitive landscape. And then at the board level, lines of business come together and they're seeing this new tech out there. And they say, oh, maybe we can use this new tech to improve a process yep. or an experience the way our customers interface with us. How do we move something across the assembly line faster? And once those business, business needs and initiatives are done, then someone translates that and say, hey, we need this new initiative and it has all these technical components. So in the old days, business analyst was a big thing, right? It's like, and it's huge, <laughs> right? Let's start to map those requirements because we want to move faster to move the lines at our stores and it requires X amount of new tech. And then somebody needs to translate, sure. okay, what do we currently have today? So we start to do that need to speed. Okay, we need it. We need it fast. And all of a sudden, it's like silos don't work anymore, right? It's it's impractical. It's uh, the business requires a speed, which requires you to know what's going on, sharing that knowledge, knowing what the dependencies are. So I think uh, sometimes some of the older IT professionals may have had a slight, uh, maybe a transition in that thing. Now I got to work with a lot of different people. Yeah. These young people come out of college, all of a sudden asking me to see my <laughs> what my diagram looks like. And they say, hey, you know, upgrade your diagram. And why is it static and Visio, right? And they say, we need to update our architecture faster. We need you to put the code out faster, build faster. So it's interesting because a lot of these skills aren't necessarily technical, right? It's, I got to work yeah. more with more people at a faster pace. So uh, have you seen, uh, as you go around your clients, have you seen any struggles with teams saying, you know what? Or CIO saying, you know what? I need my teams to be changed. I need them to transform. I need them to the work fast. Yeah. Have you seen them have challenges from their internal t- teams on the ground land? Ooh, this is way too different for us. You know, it's, it's funny. Um, and, and you threw out a term there, business analyst, um, that is, is a crucial role today. Um, but there's another role that has become m- equally, if not more important, and that's the financial analyst. Um, you know, you mentioned, you mentioned, uh, cloud costs a bit earlier and, uh, being able to go in and, and build and manage and act upon the information coming out of something like a FinOps platform to to really take those cloud costs and drive them down and and and, and a kind of appropriate it back to what you're doing on prem that plays heavily into the the agility that you're that you're talking about right if I if I'm going to go in and and deploy things quickly and I'm going to go in and and really react to changes within the business. I have to be able to do so, but I also have to do it without blowing up all of our budgets, right? And, and, and it's easy to go in and say, I'm going to roll out a bunch of new stuff, and then all of a sudden, boom, my budgets are blown, right? So so those financial analysts and, and, and really understanding what the different components are going to cost and how they're billed, um, you know, is this a capital expenditure? Is this an operational expenditure that's charged by the month, by the day, by the hour? Um, those are all becoming extremely important. And, and quite frankly, they're not conversations that a lot of IT people are used to having. You know, it's it's a fairly new paradigm to have IT teams that are discussing how things are billed and paid for and what sort of cost models they want to be uh, running their organization under. This is fascinating. Can you start to think about it now? Because uh, <laughs> so that back to that whole business, we're going to respond to market forces. 
and we're going to invest X amount of dollars. And if somebody ran some crunch, some numbers and say, Hey, if we do this, we can maybe increase our bottom line by a certain amount of percentage. But all of those models are relying on inputs. And a lot of those imp yep. inputs come from technology, which comes from the IT department, right? The CIO, CTO saying, <laughs> this is how much it costs to do that new thing you want to go do for the business. So it's fascinating where you went with that about financial analysts and crunch it down. Cause they say, how much does it cost to run service X? Because if we get yeah. the wrong total cost of ownership, that's going to that mess up the return on investment, right? So some of I think, 100%. I think we used to work with somebody who used to always say, uh, there are no IT projects. The only business projects. <laughs> <laughs> yes, sir. We did. We sure did. <laughs> Which is so. Yeah. Yep. And yeah. It, it was. It was so true. You know. And 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 I mean, it's. Um, I don't know where I was going with that. <laughs> yeah, because yeah. yeah, sometimes we think like it's a it's a project on the side. We're going to stand up something new, some new tech. Like, but it's a business project. It got visibility. It has calls to it, and you need to make money return on it, which opens up a whole new world. Because yeah. you mentioned about blowing the budget. But maybe we deploy it in such a way where it's not as secure as it was before. So now we're well, yeah. enterprise risk management uh, yeah, across the board, right? So it's now like, <laughs> is this more exploitable than it was yesterday? And if not, we need to make it more secure. Do we blow our budget even more by making it secure, more secure if we didn't think about it ahead of time? So just think about that whole security implications of not deploying it without the full spectrum of risk analysis in that process. Oh, and I mean, think about how many how many new attack vectors there are, right? When you when you look at an application that's being developed and stored in you know in a, in a Git style repository, now you've got your source code that's being stored. It's being pulled out. It's being leveraged, changed, you know, deployed, tested, etc. There's a ton of new attack vectors, and so you now have to you know you now see things like source code scanning. You now see real time injection scanning. You see real time testing of applications. All of these different components that you know uh, that traditionally didn't really fall to IT that are now starting to fall to IT because, like you said, IT has gone beyond managing infrastructure and they're now managing service availability, right? I mean, if the application does, isn't up and the application's not accessible to, to the users in the business, it doesn't matter whether the server's up or the storage is up or the network is up. The application is the thing that matters. Nobody cares what, what, about the infrastructure. Um, so, Which goes back to teaming. So to make sure that if you're deploying something new, and it goes out and starts to use a different, uh, maybe a different application language that your current security team doesn't have tools for. And somebody's going to go out there and buy new Absolutely. tools. It's like, oh, we didn't realize you guys didn't have tooling in-house. You said you scanned our code. Well, of oh, these particular languages. But then the development team can <laughs> use a different language that we don't support. Hey, can we have some money for that? So now all of a sudden, right. it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. We got to hurry up and try to figure this out. So once again, it's like, silos are really an enemy, almost like a legacy mindset. So no IT projects, all business projects. And of course, uh, IT got to keep everything up and running all the time. Uh, do you remember the old days where you'd have like a, a whole weekend for like uh, maintenance windows? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I, I, I don't miss yeah. that. <laughs> I mean, but you can take everything down, right? Take everything down, oh, catch yeah. firmware, upgrade code, eat all this time. And all of a sudden you shrink it because, oh, this technology is underlying a business process, which works on a weekend. Right. However, when you look at what's happened with, with the way that things are architected, now 
we can take it down whenever we want because you architect things in such a way that if I pull down components of this application, components of this infrastructure, I don't interrupt that service. That's huge, right? I mean, um, you know, you, you talk about an IT guy's quality of life. That's, that's nice when he says, you know, instead of having to get up at three and four o'clock in the morning to take a few servers down and, and do some patches, you can just roll things across. And, and we, we did this for, for, for a customer a few years ago. Um, they've got two different data centers. Each of them is in a different seasonal disaster zone. And so we help them build a biannual failover where, you know, during the summer they would run in one data center. And during that time, they would go through and do any maintenance or anything like that, upgrades that they needed to do in the other data center. Then at the end of the season, they would fail everything over. You know, and this was six or seven years ago, um, you know, and, and, and recently they've moved into even more of a, 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 a an all up kind of uh, in, environment where they're, you know, they're doing real time replication. They're doing, you know, distributed load hosting across their two data centers. And then they've got a third copy that they post out to one of the cloud providers so that if they lose both of these data centers, um, you know, they, they've got a third copy. Right. So, I mean, um, it's it's a similar paradigm, but it's a very, very different operational model. So I like that because the old days was we think the redundancy or redundant infrastructure works. But we don't know until we have to fell over. <laughs> so this one, you actually run it in that infrastructure. It works. Okay, switch it over to the other one. I just love that idea because right. I had many a horror stories of trying to fell over a, a core switching or firewalling <laughs> and it, it wouldn't switch back properly. It's like, uh oh, absolutely. We wouldn't do it once a year. It's yeah. like, whoa. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. No, totally with you. So, uh, so yeah. Chris, would you want to be like a CIO and just be responsible for 100% availability, totally secure at a great price for the business? <laughs> easy job, right? <laughs> Sounds super yeah. easy. Yeah. yeah. Barely an inconvenience, as my kids would go. say. <laughs> what do you say to three dimensions? No, yeah. you know, yeah, go ahead. It's 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 interesting because a CIO's role is, has changed dramatically, right? And 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 you know, um, traditionally CIOs have come from the application side of the business, and they have you know more of a development background, um, which makes sense if you think about the C level interfacing with the CFOs and the CEOs. They're not the CFOs and CEOs are not interested at all in the as I would call it the plumbing of of, of IT, right? They want to make sure that the applications that the business needs are running. They want to make sure that the tooling and 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 the and the, the workloads that people need in order to make the money for the business are available all the time and that they get the performance they need. And so, you know, a, a CIO now is has to be much more interested in in the infrastructure from a different perspective though, right? They've got to look at all of those different things and 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 take the financial accounting into, into, into play. They've got to take all of the different operating models of whether they're cloud or multi-cloud or, or hybrid cloud, et cetera. Um, it's, it's, it's not anywhere near the easy job and, yeah. you know, the easy job it <laughs> yeah. used to be, right? Like see, being a CIO was ever yeah. easy, but it's, it's, it's a much more complex world now. So. Well, I can say it's safe to say that uh, next 10 years, IT professionals are going to have a lot of interesting uh, work to do. <laughs> Never going to be a, uh, a lack of technical fluency they need to have, but also these other skills, better communication skills, analytical skills, working in teams, seeing that systems view. So I'm, I'm really excited for everybody who's coming into the industry. And then for those who've been in, in the industry for decades, right, there's always something new, something interesting, a lot of career opportunities and growths and paths out there. So I'm pretty excited. Oh, absolutely. Oh, it's, it's going to be so fun. I mean, you know, and, and, you know, if you think about it from, from your own, your own developed smart IT platform, um, you know, I look a lot at, at 
the maturity of an organization, right? And being able to walk into an organization and say, hey, look, here's where you're telling me that you want to be in two years. Here's where you are today. Here are the steps that you're going to have to go through to get there, right? And that's one of the things that's so interesting as we move forward and, and as we look down the road at, at you know, the, the, the breadth of AI technologies and edge technologies that are coming into play and becoming mainstream, right? I mean, who would have thought two years ago that ChatGPT would be as big of a deal as it is, right? I mean, it's literally everywhere. Um, you know, you have now you have edge technologies where you're you're using small IoT sensors, hundreds and hundreds of them on on an individual piece of machinery, so that you can tell whether a piece of machinery halfway across the world is going to need maintenance in six months or not. Um, you know, that type of thing, and and those those incremental levels of maturity and gaining more IT smarts. Uh, is going to keep a lot of people busy and keep a lot of people learning new things over the coming over the coming years. So I think you're saying if the business want to improve, businesses want to stay competitive, stay relevant, they're going to need an IT team to perform at a high level. And it's not like a great opportunity for us to work better as a team, always continues to learn, educate ourselves, share information and just help one another. Something. Absolutely. I think that's a, yeah. that's a great spot to, to close out, Chris. Uh, we could probably go on for hours here, a lot of, <laughs> lot of cool things and topics around here, but I think it's a good place to stop for today. I really appreciate your time today. Okay. No, absolutely, man. I appreciate you having me on. This was fun. Hey, uh, if anybody wanted to reach out and just hang out with you for a beer or talk shop, how can people find you? Uh, you know what? You can find me. Uh, uh, you can email me at chris at rchrisnorris.com or you can see me at, on Twitter at rchrisnorris. Awesome, man. Appreciate it. So we wrap. Absolutely. So now we're wrap another episode of the Smart IT Podcast, and we look forward to you seeing you on the next episode. Thank you very much. Thanks for joining another episode of the Smart IT Podcast, where we explore what's next for IT and disrupt the status quo, simplify the complex, and reduce risk together. If you like what you hear, please like, subscribe, and leave your comments. And for more Smart IT wisdom, check out my website at williamreed.info.